Welcome to another exciting episode of the Voluntary Tackle, the only NRL podcast campaigning to have the NRL trophy divided into 16 separate pieces so that every club wins a prize. Bags not Arthur Summons' penis. I'm your host, Damon Brown, and today on the show we'll be discussing the wash-up from the NRL 9s, how to score tickets to see NRL Judiciary Live, Phil Gould's latest career switch, as well as the prospects of how the Cronulla Sharks and the Brisbane Broncos will perform in 2020. But first, I'm joined in the early 90s time zone arcade by the only man who owns so much New South Wales Blues merch, he's donated the only remaining jersey of the state's most famous speed hump, Steve Turner, to the Australian Sports Museum. It's Xander Risotto. Welcome to the show, mate. Good to be here, mate. And thanks for the shout out to the 90s time zone era. I do miss Street Fighter 3. Oh, well, they were great times. I was a bit of a Virtual Cop 2 man myself. Virtual uh, Cop? Yeah, that was... that was. Um, I didn't mind it. That was something. Um, in fact, I got so good at that game that uh, when I got into one of those high-score modes, I'd usually come all over the keys, uh, which got me banned. That explains, actually, why you couldn't pry the guns from your hand. <laughs> That's right. My whole holster technique was affected quite badly. <laughs> um, but Steve Turner, mate, you're obviously a big fan um, to have owned his only last jersey. Did that still have uh, Greg Inglis's stud marks on the back of it? Yeah, actually, yeah, mate. I, I um, wear it uh, when I see my chiropractor just so I can <laughs> I can show him the indentations that I would like him to make when he when he fixes my back up. I like it. They go, this is what a really fucked back looks like, mate, because <laughs> uh, it's been all trodden over by a future or mortal. Do you reckon um, that would be valued at a bit higher money, mate, if it came with the soiled shorts as well? Because I'm assuming Steve Turner probably shit himself when he played Origin. Yeah, I think authenticity is where it's at these days. I mean, maybe even some of the skin flakes that came off, off his back when he was stomped on. Absolutely, mate. It'd be good to have the whole set. Um, how's your work been, mate, outside of rugby league? Outside of watching the NRL 9s, of course. Uh, at the moment, work is uh, mostly comprised of me giving my parents tech help. Yeah, we were talking about that before we started. That sounded really painful. Yeah. Um, I, don't I think know you if, should walk the <clears throat> listeners through this. I don't know if um, our listeners out there have baby boomer or older parents, but um, if you've ever been asked how to open an email attachment by your parents who actually don't know where their email account is or, or asked to, um, uh, whether or not that they should be buying a new computer because their browser is slow... Um, <laughs> then, uh, yeah, you probably feel my pain. So your mum was saying that uh, she can't stop her mouse from zooming in on things. Is that what the complaint was? That was the latest complaint. Because uh, that would was, stump me, because that's was, never fucking happened to me. It was initially that the, the way she explained it was she was trying to edit a document and the text was really big. So I said, can you, can you send me the document and I'll see what's wrong with it. And it, was, it was fine. <laughs> So then I said, standing too close to the screen. (laughs) I don't know what it was, but she's like, "Oh no, it's not just the document. Um, It happens with everything. Every every time I open a web page or an email, it just starts zooming." And I said, "So why did you send me the document?" (laughs) 
Um, well, mate, for me, it was it was just great to watch some rugby league again. Obviously, the NRL Nines was on. Um, was it? Know, yeah, I don't know if you knew that or not. We'll get into the scheduling of the, the tournament itself. There might have been a few issues there. But it was certainly good because up until then, Xander, I was watching nothing but lawn bowls tournaments. And now it wasn't going too well for me. Um, mind you, how good is Lee Schreiner going? Gee whiz, motherfucking beast of a jack high that man is. Um, so I have been watching a lot of lawn bowls, mate. But... Um, you know what? I've been watching so much of it that a couple of weeks ago I actually turned up and watched an event live. I don't know if you if you ever watched Lawn Bowls live or not, but um, I have turned up to the odd Lawn Bowls club. Does that count as watching it live? I watched I some old so. men. Did you? You actually? Oh, you just watched the old men. You didn't watch them play. You just wanted to watch <laughs> the old men. <laughs> just in the change room. <laughs> like yeah, no, but I, I, I've, I've been to. It's weird. I, I actually went years ago to a twenty first that was at a Lawn Bowls club, and I, I, for the life of me, I couldn't understand it. Because <laughs> um, it was it was kind of almost like a joke, but it wasn't intended that way. Yeah, no, I see what you mean, and it, it's one of those games. It's not exactly high octane, but um, no. nonetheless, I turned up and I heckled relentlessly um, this person, <laughs> and I ended up throwing. I don't know if it is acceptable to heckle or not, but I ended up throwing a hot dog at this guy. He's probably eighty seven years old. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's acceptable. I don't think so. I don't think he- heckling or, or physical violence. Of <laughs> is any it sort. violent if it doesn't hit him? Because it just it bounced near him. I mean, he died. He was a diabetic and he ate it. He shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but what I'm saying is it wasn't intended violence, Xander. That's my point. You did throw it at him, so it was intended. I guess Clearly. Right. Uh, look, before we get into the show, just a reminder for anyone who wants to touch base with us, we are preparing to get a little bit more active on Instagram and Facebook this season. So if you haven't already, please follow the show there for some classic footy bants. Plus, you can always reach us on Twitter at Voluntary Tackle. And please, if you have any questions for us here at the show, get in touch and ask us anything on the hashtag AskTVT. We'll be having a special AskTVT potty coming up soon, Xander, as you well know, because uh, there's been a bunch of great questions already submitted. So stay tuned for that. But before we do anything else, we need to talk NRL 9s. Like it, virtually anything else in rugby league, uh, it proved to be both electric and controversial. The Cowboys ultimately emerged victorious, mate, against the Dragons. They claimed their hmm. second NRL 9s title. Now, the first question on the show is this. Do you think they were worthy winners? And um, who impressed you most? It could be a team, it could be a person, it could have been just a streaking fan. I did think that the Cowboys were pretty worthy winners in the end. They, like Tal Morolo, you know, every time he got the ball, he, in that beast. format, with that, with that much space mm. to work with, he was, he was unstoppable. Yeah, he's a, he's a real problem in nines because usually it takes a good 13 men to stop him. <laughs> uh, and when there's only nine of you... Um, he quite likes that. So it's interesting, and we talked about this um, a while back. I think during the world, the, the World Cup nines. Mm. I think if you were to run this format and make it like a, a circuit, like they do with with sevens, where it's constantly being played, a guy like Taumalolo probably wouldn't have a place anymore because it would be too fast and too mobile. Mm. But as it stands, they're just all out of preseason training, and they're just playing like you know a, a, a slightly more open version of the 13s game so yeah. it just means that there's there's more opportunities for, for him to create space or just bowl over people because they're, they're not trying to give him space yeah you're right and the, the opposition when you're playing Tomalolo the opposition might as well be dressed as 10 pins because that's they're not really effective in being able to stop him and he does look like a human bowling ball running at the defensive line. Uh, he had an immense tournament. But look, the Cowboys did bring in a pretty mature squad. There was a real difference of approach from club to club in terms of how mature the squads that they brought in. Some decided to virtually play nobody. Um, some were forced to play nobody because they were overseas in Europe. 
Big shout out to the Roosters for the World <laughs> Cup challenge coming up. Uh, but the Cowboys, for instance, they obviously proved victorious, but they brought in the likes of, as you said, mm. Tao Malolo. They had Erston Masters playing for them. They had Josh Maguire, Kyle Felt. I mean, mm. they had a lot of genuine first graders. That's obviously going to make it hard to stop. And, of course, the big talking point out of the tournament was young Scott Drinkwater, mm. the former Melbourne Storm player who couldn't get a run behind Billy Slater. He's gone to the Cowboys. think he's going to play fullback. They went and bought Valentine Holmes, put a bit of a kibosh on that. But he just reminded everyone just how good he could be. Yeah, no, absolutely. I thought, uh, I thought some of his, his touches and just you know, evasiveness uh, throughout the, the short format um, mm. was, really, was really promising for the, for the Cowboys. It actually gives them a bit of conund- a conundrum, right? Yeah. It's funny to think that they're even thinking of having two fullbacks <laughs> with, with Luttrell Mitchell at one point. Yeah, that's right. You know? They're very big on having like a million fullbacks. But you know, he could probably play anywhere in the outside mm. backs, drink water. But for me... He's a natural number one. So it'd be interesting. There might actually be a conversation or two to be had um, up there in Townsville in terms of who they're going to play in the number one. Other teams that were pretty impressive, the big turn up for me were the Dragons. Yeah. I didn't have them in my yeah. equation at all, um, but they picked a bunch of young guns. They didn't pick a huge amount of first grade experience. In fact, the only first grade experience they did bring in got horribly injured which is a, a big talking point out of it. So they played well as a unit. They ended up losing their skipper, Cameron McInnes, to a medial ligament. They lost Dufty because half his face got badly damaged. Um, and they also lost Corbin Sims to a broken arm. So I don't know if this raises questions for you, Xander, again. Is it worth the risk for teams to be bringing in these kind of top gun mm. players for something you've just previously described as a Mickey Mouse tournament? Yeah, I mean... Being more charitable, a festival of football is probably a nice <laughs> way to describe it. Sorry, Matt, I've quoted you off the record. <laughs> um, I should never do that. Um, but it, yeah, it, it definitely raises real questions and it, and it probably um, supports the... Uh, well, I mean, it doesn't support a decision the Roosters made. The decision was made for them, but to, to send um, a, a less high-profile side. That's a very charitable way of putting it, mate. We had no one yeah, playing what, for us. That's what I mean. Well, the decision was made for us because they... they Put the nines at the the, t- the only time they could put the um, uh, World Club Challenge, which mm. doesn't help. A big shout out to Ian Schubert for filling in for us. Uh, yeah. Really appreciate that. You gotta love it though when you when you when you're fielding like a retired Sydney Swans player <laughs> in your in your nines team. That kind of I mean I, I actually reckon it's great. I love the fact that you know Robbo has that relationship with with the other codes and he can bring in a guy like that who apparently grew up watching rugby league as well. Mm. I'll tell you what, you continue to watch well. it out there, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> he wasn't getting involved too much. I thought he was all right. Like He had a few touches. Against the Warriors, he looked very good. Well, yeah, so, <laughs> so does everyone. My grandma had a good game last week against yeah. the Warriors. Panthers, not so much. But I loved Nick Davis's start to the Nines tournament because there was a penalty blown. He His big thing is obviously the drop punt. So he yeah. kicked for touch for a penalty, picked up 60 metres, and everyone went fuck, this Nick Davis guy could be awesome. Yeah. Uh, anyway, they tapped it and um, Kikau got the ball and he didn't even try to tackle him. Well, he probably just thought, oh, he's got to bounce the ball soon. You know. I think he thought, I'm just here to kick for the sideline. I, w- I didn't sign up for this. Uh, Kikau, another guy who had an amazing yeah. tournament, actually, and we've talked about him in previous podcasts. I think he's going to have a huge year. You know, it's interesting. Obviously, Paul McGregor was not a happy man after uh, the tournament, mate. Despite the half, fact of his, half, half of his side's side. gone. Despite the fact they actually performed really well and made the grand final, they're really up against it uh, in the run into mm. the first grade season. You know, we were talking about the weird um, absurdity of buying Isaac Luke. We thought this is an interesting move. Well, they've just lost Cameron McInnes. Suddenly that looks like quite a genius move because 
Luke's going to very easily seamlessly fit into the number nine at least. There's like a saying for this, isn't there? It's, it's basically a calamity making a poor decision look good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't. That's think not the there saying. Was, I don't think there was design. <laughs> there was no design behind it. Yeah. We probably should mention as well that the Warriors were very, very horrible. Now, I know I promised on the last show to stop ripping on them, but they did say it weren't actually even trying in the nines. In the fact that they... They just that, turned up. That, that, a, that a Roosters team basically fielding a reserve-grade side and, and, and players from other codes um, yeah. could beat them is, is really worrying. And the big question is, who else would they have lost to? Like, if not a, if not a, uh, like a rugby league team. Like, we have a great developmental system, don't get me wrong. Mm. But, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I think they would have lost to Sydney FC. <laughs> I think they might have. I think they would have lost to, I don't know, a Booper retirement home rep side. Um, people over the age of 80 that just wanted it more. You know, so there's there's every chance they're, that they They're would genuinely have. hungry, those 80 plus. <laughs> yeah, they are. They're playing for food at exactly. Booper because they don't feed you. It's not mandatory there. So, yeah, they had a pretty ordinary start to the season. And I also was reading, and I don't know if this is going to be a telling sign or not, but the Warriors are actually replacing the captain's run this year. Uh, with a very slow walkthrough. This is legitimate. <laughs> you shouldn't even with... be making it up. Um, they've gone, no, we're not doing it. We expend too much sure energy. Sure, this isn't an Onion article. No, I wish it was, mate. So it sounds like they've taken that mentality into the game day at nines because they were definitely <laughs> doing a very slow walkthrough. They weren't doing their deep breaths either, I noticed. It was No, yeah. I, I wonder if they've dispensed with that because they're all hyperventilating and it turns out it <laughs> was... Because it wasn't working. <laughs> it was upping their white blood cell count, yeah. I think. Now, the tournament itself, Xander, wasn't without controversy, as with rugby league, it never is. The Dragons uh, winning try against Penrith was clearly out and it actually knocked Penrith out of the grand final. The only reason I raised that is um, the person refereeing, Ben Cummins. Yeah, couldn't, it just had to be Ben Cummins. Had to be Ben Cummins. So he's just fresh from hash, yeah. hashtag six again. Uh, he's come into the, the preseason. Mm. He's gone into the nines. He's having a decent tournament. The refereeing was quite good mm. up until the howler. And of course... It happened to be Ben Cummins again. Is this something that might play on his mind going into the new season? I think it probably was playing on his mind in the game. I mean, I, you know, I didn't really have a problem with it. Um, you know, it is the nines. The, what does that mean, that decisions don't count? Well, I mean, it, you know, it, it means that it is a festival of football. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not a tournament that you, 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 like, clearly most clubs were sending their best to. I mean, you know, hmm. South didn't field uh, their star signing Latrell Mitchell, for example. Um you know, you the the point of it is to keep it fast and and uh, you know live and die by the on-field decisions. In real time, maybe it just looked like a dead certain try. You, and, yeah, uh, I, I hear what you're saying. Is there a chance that in his mind he's just thinking six again, six again, <laughs> six again? In fact, that would really fuck him up in the nines because there's not even six tackles. Well, you can't you can't uh, send it to the bunker anyway. So, yeah, that's you know. right. You'd forgive him basically. You're sounding yeah. like you you go well. You make mistakes, Ben. You've made two big ones now. Um, let's move on, and hopefully you can award the Roosters another grand final. <laughs> With any luck. The Eels, um, they're the ones who looked like they were taking this NRL Nines tournament the most seriously, Xander, because they basically brought in their whole first-grade squad. And um, I don't know if this is a good sign or not, that they didn't do too well. You know what? I've been thinking about this, and I, I do actually wonder if, if they that is the right approach. I think for a, a game like the Nines, and you saw this in the World Cup Nines as well, is that teams who picked sides like they were playing a full 13s game mm. didn't do too well, generally speaking. The Australian side who won that World Cup, they picked they picked a side that was designed to exploit the format. Yeah, right. And they, they played tactically to, to, 
to um, take the most benefit of that. They kicked her early a lot. They, they had speedsters everywhere. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, if you're picking to play it like you're, you're, you're playing normal 13-man rugby league, you've probably missed the point already. So what you're saying is Sean Lane's three-quarter pace hole runs weren't cutting it for the Parramatta Eels. <laughs> no. Okay, no, you might have a point there, actually. And in fact, just on that high, whole idea of reframing the game of the nines and, not ta- and taking it as its own thing, there's been a lot of talk about how the NRL administered the NRL nines this year. Um, now, the big thing, and I'm going to tee you up straight away here, was the scheduling. It was played on a Friday and a Saturday. A Friday, which is freaking weird. I'm yeah. not exactly sure why that is. What are your thoughts about that? Because for me, it should have been a Saturday and Sunday, uh, it shouldn't it? pisses me off so much. Like I, I, I think, Isn't everyone at work in Perth yeah, I during mean, the day on a Friday? Well, precisely, and that's... that. Showed itself. So there are a number of, number of issues. The Friday-Saturday format, which we discussed again in the World Cup Nines, which was also criticised again by everybody mm. because you can't turn up to it. Like we, I bought tickets to both days of the Bankwest one and there was nobody there on the Friday and barely on, on, on the Saturday. Mm. Same thing happened here. Um, you know, I, I'm assuming it's driven by TV, but it's such a small format. Why don't you, why don't you build it so it's about the attendance first and foremost and mm. have the final played on Sunday afternoon? Yeah. That way you're going to get more people through the tensiles. It actually looks like a better product on TV when there are more people there. That as well. And of course, I thought the whole idea was to potentially build up the audience in Perth for yeah. expansion. And So you are pitching the game at people in Perth, aren't you? It shouldn't be about ratings on the East Coast. You would think so, but but uh, then Peter Volandis obviously came out and then bagged the crap out of all the WA Rugby League fans and told them that they were, not only were they not a priority, but they are a waste of money. And you're like, you, Jesus, you dickhead. Like, how can you be that dumb to, go, to basically piss off a key expansion market um, in your first week in the job. And like this is this is kind of why this guy worries me a little bit. He's got that that racing mindset of, well, if something doesn't work, we'll send it to the glue factory. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Which, to be fair, that's been working for their profit margins in Australia's racing industry for a while. Just not ethically right, Xander. That would be the issue. But, you know, what worried me about Volandis about that, I, that very thought you're having there, is the fact that he made that decision so early on. It wasn't as though he sat down and discussed with the NRL executive about expansion plans. Oh, yeah, Perth might be in the figuring and the second team in Brisbane. He seems like he, he basically hadn't even put his coat and briefcase down before he said, no, we're not having a second team in Brisbane and we're not going to Perth. Yeah, it, it was frustrating. I mean, it, the fact that this guy is new to the job, he's pissed off the entire WA Rugby League audience. And just generally, the, the competition doesn't seem to have been organised with any real strategic direction whatsoever. So as you say, you've, you've run it over a time slot that isn't going to be friendly to working people in that part of the country. Mm. And you've had, you've had Volandis come out criticizing the audience. If you're being creative about this, if you're really actually trying to be strategic about the market, and I, and I use that word advisedly, because you are dealing with a hostile market, right? Like you need, you're needing to, to come up with something. Do you mean creative. they're all armed with guns or? Well, you're dealing with a hostile market insofar as it is not a rugby league market. You, you're competing with other football codes who have a foothold already. So you need, you need to find a way to pry your way into that mm. and, and show that you give us stuff. And I actually would have thought if you were thinking outside the box, you would have extended an invitation to the Western Force to put forward a nine team because it, the format is, is short enough that it lends itself to a cross-code sort of opportunity like that. Yeah. And with, frankly, the coronavirus 
um, completely destroying the uh, the business model of, of, of Twiggy Forests. Um, we, we should have had a, a team from Wuhan. Well, uh, you that's know, a great idea because no one would go near them. I don't know if you're aware, but but Western Force they they've got this weird Pacific competition that they've tried to craft, and it has um, a Hong Kong team and all this kind of stuff, and the whole thing's basically fall in a bit of a heap mm. as far as I understand it. Like um, anything to do with rugby, really? Yeah. If somebody had been quick-witted and and uh, a little creative, maybe they you could have extended that invitation to them. It would have definitely swelled the interest in the in the tournament. So there are like players around who represent the Western Force now? Yeah. Well, yeah. I know they're a defunct club, so who's playing for them? I got no idea, to be honest. Yeah, but, that might be an issue. They, Recruitment they, might be an well, issue. Well, no, but they, they, they have a team that they field for this this specific competition. And just pull them in. So I, I don't know where they get them from because they're not playing like super rugby. Well, it's funny you mentioned that, right? So there's been a lot of talk on social media about uh, the different ways that you could potentially run the NRL Nines. And do, having different kinds of clubs in the competition outside of the NRL clubs mm. alone has actually been a really common suggestion. So no one... Uh, Super has League. Been, no one's... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Super League teams were suggested and even um, old retro NRL teams just to get that kind of um, heritage buy-in. Um, all of these actually sound like they might be quite good ideas mm. because it is all about generating interest initially, isn't it? Yeah, no, I agree. I think, I think you've got to be creative with the format. But I have a, a question mark, I think, about the concept as a whole. Like, I mean, if you're going to do it you and you're going to do it just once a year... You really need to put in quite a lot of effort, um, but if you want this format to really survive and, and be appealing, you, I don't know if you you actually need to extend it probably and and allow it to become its own thing. Maybe like say twenty twenty in cricket. Well, it's interesting. Yeah, I agree with you, and and I think like a lot of these things, they start out initially almost as a bit of a marketing tool, don't they? Like twenty twenty cricket was sort of similar in that it's mm. about trying a bit of a gateway presentation to people who aren't fans now but you want to get them invested in other forms of the game. I think the NRL Nines could certainly play that role when it comes to rugby league. You know, it gets baby audiences who wouldn't traditionally be involved or watch the sport, look at that and go, oh, that's a pretty fast-paced, easy-to-watch, doesn't-go-for-too-long sport. What's this all about? Then they might get some level of investment. And who knows, a portion of those could convert to NRL fans down the track. I think that there is scope for extending the format so you, you run it, you, you make it rove around the country and maybe you run it five times a year even. Like you literally run it like every, every other month and you have like a, a, you know, it becomes a circuit like the, the Global Seven stuff. But you but couldn't do it during the season though, could you? Well, you, no, you could because you would make it something, that, this, is, this is what I'm getting back to, right? Is it, you know, if you run it and it becomes its own thing, then you start developing specialist athletes who are just there for that format. Wouldn't that take a while though? That, that's a real long term. Yeah, but plan, you, you isn't know, it? it's something that you know you would you would put your reserve grade sides on. There's a lot of ideas to do with it. I mean, um, I guess going back to our critique of the NRL nines this year, apart from the fact that it was scheduled on a Friday and Saturday and there were poor crowds, you and I have both had similar feelings that the pool system seemed a bit weird too. How do you feel what about was that about four, four teams, but you don't play everyone in your pool? Yeah, um, I, I cannot wrap my head around it. Like, I mean, you know, it's great that the Roosters had a 50-50 win-loss ratio because they only played two games. But how is that in any way fair? I, it just it just confused the crap out of me. There's so much about the way this was organised that just makes zero sense and just makes the whole thing feel really poorly conceived and half art. Is this Volandi sabotage? He kind of looks like the evil, like an, a more evil version of Better Call Saul, so maybe it was. He might have been conspiring to sink it because that whole thing doesn't make a lot of sense. In fact, a lot of the time, the commentary was absorbed with for and against. 
because mm. there was only a couple of games played. So all of the top two teams coming out of each pool were all were determined by for and against. And that became, instead of being a differentiator when you need it, mm. it became the master variable. And who wants to sit there and do fucking maths? You know, it's about watching footy and you think We are rugby league fans after all. I know, all. <laughs> I mean, exactly. I mean, once it gets to double digits, forget about it. I don't really like it. But before we move the conversation along a little bit, we need to talk about who the standout players were. And we put this out to Twitter. We asked our audience, which player deserved to be named the player of the tournament at the NRL Nines? Uh, our prospects were Scott Drinkwater, Cody Ramsey, Viliami Kikau and Jason Taumalolo. And Scotty Drinkwater walked away with it, 40%, uh, followed by Cody Ramsey, who was this young kid for mm. the Dragons who yeah. played very well. If it does one thing, Xander, the NRL Nines, it's a great showcase for young talent, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And this is, this is why I kind of like the idea of using it as a way to experiment with your reserves a bit. You know? Yeah. I mean, I would never have known about Cody Ramsey. I think mm. that uh, the lens wouldn't have been focused on Scott Drinkwater because who knows if he's even going to be making the first grade team from round one. So there's a whole bunch of young guys, and I've always liked that. The first time I saw Latrell Mitchell was actually in the Auckland Nines. Yeah. And yeah. I remember thinking, so from then on, I went, oh, who's this kid? And I sort of tracked him mm. from that point on. And that, it's actually a really good gateway for people who don't, go and watch the Toyota Cup or don't necessarily have the time to watch reserve grade. And it's, This is a great showpiece for young talent. It's the, the kind of format where it lends itself a bit to that because mm. the fitness levels don't need to be quite as high and, um, you know, blacks defensive techniques actually add to the spectacle. Yeah, no, I agree with you there, mate. Well, look, regardless of any of the results, uh, mm. I was more than happy to see Rugby League back on our screens. That was my, my bottom line point. And I was particularly happy to see the big Nick Davis AFL experiment worked. It proved once and for all that AFL players can't tackle for shit. Well, Xander, in a bid for greater transparency in the judiciary process, the NRL, in its infinite wisdom, has attacked the problem with the most literal approach possible, sanctioning live streaming from the judiciary meetings itself in 2020. The question we're asking on the show today is, who in their right mind be watching this shit? It's, it's interesting. I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe Be honest, on a Friday night, would you sit down, get yourself a couple of beers, bit of popcorn and go, I think the judiciary's on. I probably would have watched the judiciary hearings, say, uh, in the lead up to the finals when Hargraves was on the line. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like I would have watched the Billy Slater one. I would have been very angry about that. <laughs> yeah, for, for big games, I can imagine people like watching it with bated breath to see who, cause, you know, who's, what's going to happen. So I can see it actually working for, mm. for some of those big ones. But the other, like for, for anything other than, than a big match... Um, you know, it'll, it'll be like daytime TV. Not many people will tune in. But, but you know, maybe it's clever marketing. Maybe it's maybe this is smart from the NRL. They realise this is a product they can actually shell. <laughs> well, there should be sponsors on the lawyer's yeah. sleeves and shit. You know, it could be like Judge Judy you know, <laughs> with rugby league players. <laughs> Michael Butner's rulings are final. <laughs> this is his courtroom. And, you know, just get them to say, Bololi, every other, every other hearing. In fact, let's get Judith Scheinlet out here. She could actually mastermind the whole system. She'd have a lot of people rubbed out of the game because she's pretty hardline right. This is this is true. I've <laughs> seen her interviewed actually by Colbert, I think, at one point, and asked, you know, how what, what is it like when uh, there are disagreements in your house? And she just said, "There are no disagreements in my house." <laughs> yeah, I love that. I've also heard her say, "If my kids get into trouble, lose my number." Lose yeah, my number. I saw that. I okay. saw that. Okay, you old hag, settle down. You're dead um, to me. Uh, Mum, I'm getting raped. Lose my number. <laughs> I can't imagine that being a, a very good parenting tool. Uh, but look, uh, the big question here, the NRL have put it forward because they're claiming, Xander, that it actually improves transparency. Does it, it, though? 
I think just because a dud decision is handed down by the panel live doesn't essentially mean that the decision is any better, does it? Can they go to the bunker? <laughs> is it going to be bunker replays? <laughs> no, actually, yeah. This is their words, hmm. transparency. Now, I don't know if anyone's necessarily thinking that the judiciary are doing underhanded things physically in the courtroom. I think it's more about the inconsistency of decisions. Well, I mean, it, if it's live streamed, that yeah. doesn't change a thing, does it? Well, no, but it does. It does mean that you're you're like people will be able to absorb it um, for themselves. I mean, I can I can understand that. You know, a lot of the time you see, oh, you know, the the reports about the judiciary hearings and all the rest of it, and mm. um, this way people will be able to actually genuinely see what the arguments were for themselves, and maybe it, it can quell some of the outrage or something. You know. It might make it worse by the same token if people don't, just don't agree with it. But it, you, See the horrendous decisions live. You can actually... I mean, because there are a lot of times when decisions have been made by the judiciary that have come down and, and have been seemingly inexplicable. If maybe everyone has had a chance to see the footage and the arguments, maybe it is less controversial. I don't know. But it does does make you wonder. could go the other way, though. Well, it could go the other way. But, it, you know, if, if this is successful, it does make you sort of question what else in the game is going to be live like apart from the games themselves <laughs> that is you know well no you've, you've, you're quite right about that um there's a whole bunch of other areas in the nrl that could potentially be live streams and uh for me i'd love to see how madge mcguire's marriage will be doing after a heavy loss because i'm imagining <laughs> if there's a live stream of his house he's going to be a very intense man and you're probably going to see a lot of angry sex <laughs> It wasn't the angle I was going for. I was thinking maybe like rugby league goggle box or rugby league maths. I don't know. Maybe maybe Shark Tank for the hiring and firing of coaches. There's all kinds of stuff you can well, do. Well, these are weird sort of conceptual ideas you could do with players, but it doesn't necessarily have to be live streams, Xander. So this is the thing. I think we should set up live webcams everywhere. <laughs> Make it um, like the Truman Show for everyone involved exactly. in rugby league. Personally, I'd like to see one just in front of Wayne Bennett's hot tub. <laughs> just see him obviously how he, do you know he's got a hot tub that some questions better not posed <laughs> on the show mate <laughs> um but no obviously you'd pixelate everything you wouldn't make it hardcore but it'd be just interesting to see him ponder a match in the so tub. we're okay with soft core betty <laughs> <laughs> sorry just <laughs> just getting it back to where we are that's really. all right mate. well he's in his 70s i think everything's soft core uh, for Benny, I don't think there is such a thing as hardcore. Uh, could you? Any trips to Bali should be live stream, obviously, because they um, already are, mate. Yeah, <laughs> just seen, what am I talking about? Seeing what's gone on in Bali lately. <laughs> That's it. Or you just tune into David Feeder's Instagram. That's all you fucking need. Um, so there's a lot of potential out there for that, mate. But look, even outside of uh, changing the concept of live stream to other areas, I actually think you could jazz up the judiciary itself. Uh, and we're going to actually go to our Twitter listeners in a second, but. Um, I actually think you could add some bells and whistles to that to make it a little bit more compelling to watch because at the moment it would be like paint drying. I don't want to see... It's not going to be like Perry Mason. I mean, it's going to be pretty shitty boring. So personally, I'm just going to throw this first one at you. Ray Warren commentary. Oh, that'd be fantastic. How good would that be? <laughs> that, would be that would be great. Billy Slater telling lies now. <laughs> telling more <laughs> lies. <laughs> He's raping the system now. From dummy half, I'd love to see it. It'd be amazing. But that that said, you know, I mean, like that wasn't the best Ray, Ray Warren impression. Ray, really? <laughs> it was pretty good. It's better than I could do. Um, but you know, he he lets he lets the images speak for themselves. You know, he doesn't overdo it. He he just gives you that you know like a little bit of commentary and, and flavor, which would be great. But there would be a risk in allowing to be commentated. I mean, what happens if you get Ray Hadley there? Then no one knows what the fuck is going on <laughs> because it's just him talking over everybody. It'd probably be commentating his own son's yeah. trial, which would be great. 
We just hear very biased commentary. That wasn't his Coke. That wasn't his ice, allegedly. Another issue I have potentially here, Xander, is could the NRL actually be embarrassed if the streaming idea of the judiciary ends up outrating Gold Coast Titans games? Because as we know, they're quite dismal at the moment. You know, it'd be really funny, though, if like genuinely that, that did occur to me. Not, not outrating um, like NRL games, but outrating other sports. Well, that's potential. I mean, it could easily <laughs> like outrate the A League. Like it'll it'll outrate a lot. It'll outrate Super Rugby. It'll outrate the A League, I reckon. <laughs> which you know, and and obviously the NBL as well. Like, which is just you know, it, it's going to be awkward reading readings in Oztam when it comes up. <laughs> Judiciary hearings outrates, you know, the Sydney Derby, for example. In fact, it does occur to me if you happen to be a sponsor for Josh Maguire, you'd be fucking loving it, wouldn't you? Because he's in there. Most of the time. Um, so you'd be seeing a lot of that branding in front of a lot of eyeballs. This is true. And, and, and maybe you do have opportunities there to potentially tie in some of that like branding messaging. Like, I don't know. Is it, is it the NRL judiciary brought to you by the UFC? Look, we did go to Twitter with it, as we do. And we asked, what would be the most entertaining aspect of live judiciary meetings? Uh, the options were Josh Maguire marathons, the bunker replays, live betting options, or Ray Warren commentary. And any idea what you think one made it? Surely Ray Warren commentary. It, it didn't. No, they got fourteen point three percent of the really? vote. Really? It romped home live betting options. Oh, of Isn't it just say a lot about Australia's culture? Live betting options. Jesus <laughs> Christ! What would be those betting options, mate? I mean, surely it'd be you know like um, odds on early guilty plea and um, oh know, yeah, that's things right. like that. Yeah, will Jared Hayne rip apart the courtroom? In fact, let's go back to our live stream idea. I think it'd be really good to see some live stream of Jared Haynes' trips to the Hunter region. Well, league player turned league coach turned league commentator turned Anthony Griffin slayer, Phil Gould, has turned again, Xander, this time to player management. In a bizarre twist in the life of Gus Gould, he is now embarking on creating a deluxe player management company. Channel 9's Danny Widler had this to say about it. Phil Gould has a lawyer in place, he has accountants in place, and I'd imagine it would expand pretty quickly. He's a very unique, intelligent, and persuasive individual. I don't know anyone like him, says Danny. Now, okay, fair enough, he's unique to Danny. That doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be a good player manager, though, does it? I I do think it's more like in player negotiations, you can imagine, like, Gould would be a good sell for a player of, of, you know, the right calibre. Um... You know, he, he knows how to talk to rugby league people and I do think he'd know how to how to um, get good value for players. Like, mm. you know, just given his history with the game and his knowledge of it and, and just the way he communicates uh, about rugby league to rugby league people. He knows a lot about the game. Yeah. But my big question would be, would players actively choose him as their player manager? Like, is he, he seems a little bit maybe like he might be out of the demographic. I know that uh, mm. Phil Gould said that he might be interested in this, allegedly said, um, because there's a bit of a gap in the market at the moment. Because as we know, player management has gone through a massive shake-up. Two mm. or three of them have been deregistered. And I think he just thinks strength of numbers. A lot of players are going to be unrepresented at the moment. Maybe they can choose me. But would a 20-something-year-old NRL player choose Phil Gould? Well, yeah, I reckon they would. Um, you know, like if, think, Not think to be of, ageist. Think, but of, think of some of the player managers out there. There's some shonky-looking deal, like, mm. you know, characters. I mean, you know, Latrell Mitchell went through three of them. Yeah, that's right. Uh, they all look them, like extra from underbelly. You know, and, and they're they're all kinds of you know, like they're not they're not exactly the the types of characters that 
inspire much confidence. Whereas I think actually as a bit of a kind of, you know, it's an overused term, but a bit a, a bit of a statesman within mm. the game, Gould would have authority and I think probably quite a bit of credibility. He has all the contacts and, you know, he understands the value of players having managed a club. Mm. Um, and yeah, I actually think in a lot of ways you'd, you'd probably prefer him to a lot of the names out there. Why do you think he's doing it? Why do you think Phil Gould would choose this career path? Because, you know, he's got a pretty cushy life and a, good, a pretty good existence. He's he's down as a consultant. He's obviously helping mm. uh, Paul McGregor burn the St. George Illawarra Leagues Club at the moment. And he's on about 54 different shows. He's on radio. He was the king of Penrith yeah. up until he got stabbed in the back. I mean, he's he's never been short of a quid or a career. Does he need the stress of becoming a player manager? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Maybe maybe he just thinks it's being so poorly handled and... and Judging by the way the off-season has gone with some of the contracts, mm. he's probably not wrong. Yeah, I know. There probably is a gap in the market. I just don't know if the gap's for Phil, but there's definitely a gap in the market. <laughs> the for gap's always managed. for Phil, according to him. Now, he isn't just running any old player agent service either, Zander. He said that he'll offer a deluxe service providing mentoring and counselling. It'll also be for all sporting codes, not just rugby league. Gus 360, essentially. <laughs> Will it work? Do you, do you foresee at the end of the year we'll be talking about Phil Gould as a, a player manager? Or is this just part of his bizarre Machiavellian plan to be talked about running into the season? I, I, I can see it working. I mean, you know, if he, if he dedicates his time to it, like you, you can, you know, player managers being mentors and, and kind of, uh, you know, coaches in themselves. There's a couple of examples here and there. Of, mm. Like Coda Nasser's obviously got form on that front. Yes. Um, but... Uh, you know, he'd be a good fit for something like that, frankly. Mm. Like, I actually, you know, the more I thought about it, I'm like, yeah, I can see this working. This is the acid test. Would you like one of the Roosters, high-profile Roosters players to be managed by Gus Gould? Because that's the acid test, mm. isn't it? It, it, yeah. it sounds great in theory, but take uh, James Tedesco. Say he becomes his player manager, gets rid of who he has at the moment, mm. which I don't even know who he has. But obviously it's working because he's playing out of his skin. I would worry about um, upsetting the apple cart for players that are actually doing pretty well already. Yeah, mind you, I think I think that kind of already happens. To be honest, mm. you know, we, you know, actually, J- James Tedesco is an interesting one to bring up because he had a whole stuff up with his player management when back in the last the year. No, no, back in the, like even at the Roosters, you know, there was a whole. Uh, I remember reading about it last year. Oh yeah, there was too. And um, I blotted the, out that whole story. Yeah, the Roosters. Um, basically allowed for you know there, there was a story that came a while back that said oh you know there was concern about the way his his contract had been managed and people thought it was a salary cap thing but it was actually about the fact that his manager had uh, he dropped one of his managers and tried to get a new one and so they the roosters had worked through that process with him because he was mm. being stuffed around a little bit and i think they were trying to do exactly what you're describing mm. so i think i think that you know the club would be able to manage it you know, smart clubs would be able to manage it and, and the Roosters would be able to manage Gould. He's got a long history with them and I think actually... It might work out all right. Would be all right. And look, the one thing we do know is that whole player management segment is a fucking mess. And yeah. they've become the most corrosive element of player negotiations. That they're getting in the year of players. It's all about capitalising on their worth and their value in the short term. They're a bit like junk bonds players to them. You know, they're looking for that short-term cash gain, which is why you're seeing a little mm. bit more player agent churn um, a lot of them are doing fairly disreputable things as well to, to beat up the price. Uh, so it definitely it needs some regulation. It needs to be cleaned up. I don't. I just wouldn't have thought Phil Gould was the guy to do it, but maybe he is. Yeah, I mean, like I said, when you look at what's been happening 
don't actually mind his, his face popping up in there. Now, do you think a bit like when he commentates, mate, that he might claim to have predicted everything that happens during a footy match, he might actually do that to a player's career as well? Because that could be a, a very disruptive influence for a player. I know, uh, for example, he might go, oh, I knew you were going to Snapchat your penis, which is why I recommended a low-res filter. I mean, these I don't know if these things are going to be very helpful or not. It that was could... not where I was mentally going with that, with that, <laughs> that angle. I was thinking like the, the Charles Stubbs thing about, you know, uh, assuming they're going to win this many premier, premierships. But no, you went straight for the no-filter Snapchat I mean, I'll take you one way and then I'll angle back the other. Uh, it's like a good rugby league switch. We put it out to Twitter as well and we asked, would you want your favourite NRL player to be managed by Phil Gould? 60% said no. So the punters, mate, think that he's high risk. Yeah. I mean, much to your chagrin. I know you're obviously you're, you're no. a fan and you can see it working. I, I just don't You've think convinced me. I don't the think they've met any of the actual player managers out there. It's a little bit like, yeah, he annoys me when he commentates, but geez, if you'd actually heard some of the other player managers speak. I think personally, Xander, he should manage Anthony Griffin. He could give him a complete lowdown on the best way to be stabbed in the back. More after this. Welcome back to the Voluntary Tackle. Now, there's been some pretty big rule changes uh, to the Junior Rugby League in Queensland, Xander. No, incest is still legal at any age. Uh, No, these rules relate to trophies and tackling. The Queensland Rugby League has now made it illegal to tackle anyone in games until the under-7s, as well as banning any final series for kids under 13. Now, as much as the West Tigers might like the idea of no final series for anyone, um, is this really the path we want to go down, mate? No tackling, no finals, no competition? I mean, uh, I know you've got some mixed thoughts on this. We've, we've discussed this before. I think, you're, I think the instinct that you know, any tackling at that age isn't going to do much damage anyway is probably right, but there's also just the optics of it. And you know, with the, the research about concussion becoming more and more compelling, you're just going to have parents pull their kids out of the sport more and more right so you do need to start putting in mechanisms to try and at least protect um young kids and and also protect your you know effectively uh the appeal of the game to parents if we're being blunt about it Mm. that said that's a funny thing though isn't it the appeal of the game the game that they'd be playing without tackling wouldn't be the game anymore would it it'd be oztag or touch well yeah would it it would would be absolutely oztag or something like it um Mm. But you know, as a gateway into playing the the like the actual game, I think that's that's fine to mm. just to say that actually until a certain age, we're not going to have you tackle, and then you just develop. You know, that's something you you uh, start doing once you can read and write. Mm. For example, like I don't have, I don't have a problem with that. That said, I, I do have question marks over there not being a final series. I don't understand what the rationale is there. I don't think there's anything wrong with having winners and losers. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there's two distinct conversations to be had here. One is, as you said, I think it's an optics thing. They're they're trying to get uh, higher participation rates, essentially. And by taking away the tackling, they might figure that's a barrier to some parents letting their kids play footy. I don't agree with it, um, but we can talk about that. But as for no final series, no winners and losers, that's that's something completely different. This is is this us celebrating mediocrity again? Because I've never been a big fan of that. Yeah, I mean, I. That's why I never liked seeing John Farnham on television. I fucking hated it. <laughs> mediocrity has no place in or, the. Or meet Lou first singing in an AFL grand final. Exactly, so. not a fan. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't understand it. It does. It is redolent of the participation trophy era that kind of, you know, 
permeated, I think, American culture. Um, I don't know if it's still a thing. And here, I think, too. Yeah, you know, like, I mean, it, a lot of... A lot of um, a lot of people um, from uh, uh, you know our generation and mm. the the incoming Gen Z copped a, you know have copped a lot of shit for having grown up with participation trophies. Mind you, we're we're probably on on the on the cusp of X. We never had that when we were growing up, but it's sort of the noughties and uh, the tens. It was a thing, right? Well, mate, yeah, no, it used to be handed out when I was a kid, and in fact, it was always handed out. You'd have a best and fairest, mm. which went to the genuinely best player, and then you had. The, the, the participation award, which would always be handed to the guy with really thick glasses who was basically legally blind and didn't do a fucking thing during the game and the referee felt a bit sorry for him. They went, here, have a Macca's voucher. Yeah, but not everybody got one, right? No, no, no. So this, yeah. is, this is this kind of consolation prize. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. We never had participation awards where everyone got one. Yeah. Um, but we did have this kind of, you, you played world champ even though yeah. you weren't the best there in There were theory. always most improved trophies and things like that. Yeah, exactly. You know, which, is, which is fine, you know, if somebody's improved, I think. Yeah. But there, there's a distinction about just awarding participation full stop yeah. as opposed to something related to it. Well, the, the issue there, isn't it, that... That losing is a bad thing. Mm. I think what, what it does is it kind of entrenches this idea that by playing a sport, losing has a stigma and it's really bad. When in fact, for me, losing is just a natural part of life. In fact, newsflash kids, you're going to lose a lot in life. So you might as well get used to it early. And in fact, it's character building and I actually think it's quite good for you. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I actually, I don't understand the... I mean, I'm sure this this is some... Um, uh, person with a psych PhD is probably going to disagree with with us on Twitter. And I'd be frankly fascinated to see the research that underpins this, if there is anything robust. It strikes me as Jeez, something... this podcast has gone very turbulent all of a sudden. Well, it, it strikes me as... I, I, like, I don't like to ever assume that th- these things are entirely baseless. I'm sure there's something there. Mm. But it's it, it seems as if there is... It, it's just so incredibly counterintuitive to people's lived experience. It is it is the exact opposite of a stoic approach to life. Exactly. It's you an know. attack on stoicism. I, I'd really think if that's the, the central thrust of these things, I know that's probably not their intent. The intent is to make sure no one feels mm. isolated or excluded. But I think the end result is we're actually uh, conditioning kids not to have any stoicism and, and also to have a stigma around the idea of losing. And yeah. I thought the, the, the old adage always used to be, it doesn't matter if you win and lose, it's how you play the game. Mm. This, this runs completely counter to that. Well, it's, 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 it's saying that and then enforcing it as a rule. Yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's making that the entire ethos. Yeah. Um, and well, you can't possibly win or lose. We <laughs> yeah. don't fucking let you. We're not even keeping score. <laughs> that's the worst part. Like, you know, being competitive, that's yeah. not such a bad thing either, is it? Like, I love the idea of there being a score. Mm. I'm a competitive guy by nature, right? Mm. A friend, I, I like to say a friendly competitiveness, but, you know, whether it's work or whether it's with mates, or whether it's playing sport, I love the idea of keeping score and trying to win. Yeah. It's it, just a fun thing to do in life. And I think it's an inherently healthy thing to do. You can take it too far and I can see them wanting to control that. But the, it, where do you, I guess the question is, where do you draw the line, right? Like, do mm. you... Do you start, you know, like basically making it like, you know, a friendly tennis match where you don't even keep score of who wins what point? Yeah. Like, do you, do you, it's use... a te- you know what this is? This is a tennis match with no fucking tennis ball. There's just four <laughs> people pretending that there's a ball there and then no one hits it out. Do you, yeah, I mean, it, it, so that, that is the question, right? Is, I mean, you, you're trying to engineer um, away hurt feelings and disappointment from from uh, a lack of success yeah, from footy yeah from and, footy and you can't do that and and ultimately the nature of sport and the nature of kids we were we were kids once 
And you do remember that you compare yourself to everybody on everything anyway mm. when you're growing up. You're going to still feel like you've lost even if you haven't competed well enough within your own team. You know, mm. like there, there are, there's so many layers to this. I, I don't actually think you can solve uh, the, the problem they're trying to solve by just removing one aspect of it. Like no. I, think, I think you almost have to remove sport. Yeah, and I honestly think they're going the wrong way about that. There's more, I think the tackling thing has more merit, which we can talk about again because I've got a few more things to say on it. But before we do that, um, two sports people have been quite vocal about this one, Xander. Uh, the first one was Andrew Bogut, obviously the great uh, basketball player. Who? He said, scores are kept all season. Winners playing off in finals games and the winner gets a trophy. The losing teams have to work, have some work to do before next season. Call me crazy, but I think that could work. So he's obviously very against these moves. And the Gold Coast Titans hooker, Nathan Peets, he also felt quite strongly. He said, no tackling until under eights. If parents didn't want them tackling, then why wouldn't they put their children in Oztag or touch? And no finals until under 13s? What a joke. Just give everyone a trophy. That's the world we live in. Now, do either of those comments, mate, have any merit at all? Yeah, no, I, I think they do. I mean, the, the tackling one, again, I, I, can, I can understand the logic of, but um, yeah, Bogut's comment definitely <laughs> rings true. Let's go back to that tackling thing because I'm really interested in that because this whole idea of concussion, I think you raised a good point about that, uh, obviously is going to be an issue in the game going forward. But for, I don't think that when kids are at this age, concussion is a big issue. I, I do feel like it's more of an optics thing. And I know that um, I've actually got a bit of a view on this. I think that when you are at that age, it's a very formative age, both cognitively and also physically, that you learn a lot of your base tackling techniques coming into footy at that age. If you were to get rid of it and start tackling at the age of eight or nine or 10, I think that you could actually do a lot more injuries because I think there's players that, that you haven't developed that proper technique and how to tackle and there's going to be a lot more accidents, a lot more clumsy efforts. And when they're a bit older, the consequences are going to be worse. Because as we know, when you're five or six years old, you're pretty pliable. Nothing can really hurt you. You get hit by a cement truck and you'd bounce down the street and get up again. It's fine. So I think this is the point in the program where we tell our listeners that we are not medically trained professionals. (laughs) Um, Yeah. For some reason, we have to tell them that every week. (laughs) I know. It's bizarre. Strangely. Probably that necrophilia thing we had last week. (laughs) Um, Big shout out to Wayne. (laughs) I don't know. Like in all honesty, I don't. I don't know um, how big of an impact that has um, when you're growing up. I do. I. I genuinely don't see have a problem with it. Like you, you're that young. Like I, I can. I remember us playing footy really young. I don't actually remember being uh, in an under seven side, and even if we we were, I think you can still learn to tackle um, later. And it and and it is probably just one of those things to to just assuage the concerns of increasingly worried parents. Mm. I don't know. I don't Look, it might up the participation rate, but I just think that I'd worry about the knock-on consequences. We put it out to Twitter, not isolating the tackle thing, but isolating the idea of no competitive finals. Uh, 87.2% disagreed with the idea of scrapping competitive finals in the juniors for anyone under the age of 12. Uh, we've also got a few comments here we'll read through. This one comes from Ben Ellis. Clubs run Junior League in Sydney and the NRL has no say in how they are run. That's why the trial is in Queensland. So I don't know if he's necessarily supporting it, but yeah, yeah no, that's an interesting comment. Um, Reese Bro at Reese D39, he said, everything doctors and psychologists say go against having no winners and losers. It's fucking pathetic and is almost enough to turn me off the NRL completely. So there you go, actually. I, I was asking that question before. What is, what is the this, this psychology background <laughs> to this? And it... 
we've got our one of our friendly people on Twitter telling us that there's zero background. So I'm <laughs> Reese Bros, come to your vindicated aid. in my concern over this. Uh, this one comes from Lambretta. He said, I hate the everyone's a winner and there are no losers bullshit, but people lose sight of a range of talents if all that matters is winning. It's why New South Wales lost origin after origin for a decade. Queensland had ball players. We didn't let the kids build skills first. So Lambretta's kind of for it, I think, under that uh, that reasoning. Yeah, that's it interesting. That's... I mean, I think it was quite painful for him to compare it to our decade of, of demolition. It's an interesting perspective. I just, I don't know if it, like, I mean, if, if having no winners and losers really means that you can't develop skills. Like, surely yeah. skills are important in winning and losing. And I think there are skills in tackling. Yeah. You know, so it's I think still... it's an important thing. I used to love tackling. Like, when I was uh, in those young grades, for me, tackling was my thing because I used to get smashed when I had the ball. Um, but I could, for some reason, I used to, I actually cultivated a very strange judo throw quite early i'm probably doing the argument damage because i often used to mash kids heads right into the turf yeah i, I used don't to get really a lot of lost ball i don't think you're doing yourselves any favors actually with this talking about kids not being able to get hurt um the, the point about creativity i kind of take you know just thinking about it like you know if, if you're not so much concerned about the end result and you're just trying to put on the most creative play. But maybe there... I think there are other other ways of doing that as well. Like, mm. I don't think getting rid of finals... Actions have consequences, mm. right? And I think you just got to accept that. That's just a, a life norm. I mean, how far could you take that? It could go... It's a slippery slope, right? You could take that as far as you want. Um, if there were no consequences to our actions, then should we give a ribbon to Josh Maguire every time he elbows a winger in the larynx? Because it doesn't matter anymore. You know, I mean, this is a funny thing. Should we give an encouragement award to the Melbourne Storm salary cap cheating guys who got caught? Go, better luck next time, mate. You can do it. Try it again. Close enough is good enough. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Should we give Dylan Walker a trophy for his best? Oh, yeah. Welcome back to the voluntary tackle. Now, um, we're not great at arithmetic, Xander. We've already proved that on this show, but uh, we're very open and honest about that. Uh, we're more left brain people. In fact, I'm more back brain. Um, which is the people Reptile really good at, brain. Yeah, yeah, not good at uh, reading or writing or numbers, but quite good at wanking. Uh, that's where all the back of the brain is from. Um, so because of that, we've actually missed cued uh, how many teams that we could review going into the season. I think we're actually running out of time to review all the teams before the 2020 kickoff. So to compensate for that, uh, we're going to review two teams on today's show, and they're the Brisbane Broncos and the Cronulla Sharks. And we're going to start with the Brisbane Broncos, mate. We've got our ladders predictions here. We've done those a few weeks ago. Uh, but I'm going to throw over to you to, to start off with. How do you see the Brisbane Broncos going in 2020? You know, actually looking at their side, my uh, Anthony Milford bias aside, I actually think they're, they're going to be, you know, they've got a lot of improvement in them. They haven't actually changed too much from last year. The predicted round one team of, you know, having a spine of Asako, Milford, Croft and Turpin actually is pretty good considering they've still got that incredible pack with Fafita, Pangai Jr. and Haas. They've got a massive pack you know? and they're young. There's no, no one's doubting this Brisbane Broncos pack, that's for sure. And that spine you mentioned, I mean, look, it's not, as you said, they haven't added necessarily a lot of players. Brody Croft is the, the marquee signing for them. Mm. But I think when you look at that spine... It just looks like they've got it in the right order. It, they're yeah. almost like a jigsaw puzzle where someone had jammed the pieces in the wrong way or something. Like last year, Seabole had people playing in very strange positions. I don't know if it was experimental by design, but it just wasn't working. I think if you have a Sarko at fullback, you've got Milford back in the halves, 
Brody Croft hopefully controlling things. And I have to say, I'm a big fan of this Turpin kid, but they had him playing in yeah. the halves for the most of the time. Turpin was great last year. Yeah, he, he, to me, he's yeah. a bona fide hooker. Mm. I actually think number nine is where he should be. That's it. Seabold hasn't entirely thrown out the, uh, the weird um, positional... Uh, selections. He has put uh, Darius Boyd in uh, the centre position as opposed to leaving him on the bus. Um, <laughs> Which is his best role, isn't it, on the bus? Because he keeps it pretty clean. Um, he's able to organise a lot of the shelving. Uh, he can't drive the bus. No. Because he, he's bad at anything that involves coordination. But he can wander around it and keep it clean. It, it's, it's, it is the, the only selection that is truly inexplicable. Like, I mean, I, I, I just... You can't... He's not... I guess... You know, a lot of times um, you, you transition a player like this just to the wing as they're getting a bit older, you know, because, you know, the the defensive frailties aren't as important. But now wingers are increasingly critical for, for um, you know, meterage in rugby league. So it's kind of harder to do yeah, that. Yeah, their dollar value is even going up, you know, mm. because people are realising that the utility is actually way bigger in the bottom game. Well, yeah, they're, they're almost like second rowers um, in terms of like the... Your, your early sets getting all your early tackles getting out of your so that's a, that's really an argument against putting Darius it is there, isn't it? it is and that's kind of why I bring it up is, you know they used to do that with him but he can't really anymore so they're trying to work out well he's not a fullback he was crap there he can't play in halves sure shit isn't playing in forward so they kind of left they're only left with the centres but the problem is the centre is a high traffic area as well and defensively you need to be on point and look that's been a huge criticism over the last couple of years has been putting his body on the line in defence um, his ground coverage hasn't been what it was previously as well, which is why fullback no. is a bit of a no-go zone for him now. He was a great fullback at one point. He's definitely nowhere near as mobile. And as you said, you can't be a bad defender and play center. Like, it is mm. one of the most crucial defensive positions. So if uh, history's any guide over the last two years, Darius Boyd's going to struggle in the centers. Yeah, he might end up finishing the season on the bus. On the bus. <laughs> <laughs> if I was a betting man, I'd say... Poor old Darius might not see out the season. Yeah. Is probably how I see it going because you've got the likes of Jack Bird there, for example, who could very easily, if he remains injury-free, which he's not great at, uh, slot into the centres. You could see him coming in and, and Boyd actually exiting the team. So we'll see what happens there. But I did want to have a good talk about Brody Croft because he has the he is the most high-profile recruitment. Mm. And if there was a big criticism about the Brisbane Broncos last year, it was the fact they looked a bit rudderless. Yeah, um, they didn't yeah. have a number seven controlling things. Now, that was through probably fault of recruitment, but also a fault of injury because uh, they actually had the likes of uh, Dearden and O'Sullivan there. Both of them got injured, so they kind of got a bit stuck and they thought maybe Darius can do it. Obviously, that was a bad call in hindsight. <laughs> yeah. But to me, Brody Croft is a man who has something to prove in 2020. Mm. He was unwanted at the Melbourne Storm. They said to him, you don't really have any place here. Um, so for me, a man of great talent showed a lot of promise in the Queensland Cup. He's back in his home state. I'm predicting a big year from him. Yeah, no, I I, I think you're right, and I think that he he will he could well be the linchpin for for um uh, for the Broncos this year to, to actually make them finally click, and along with the positional changes you mentioned. Mm. Seabold, will he be less angry this year? Because I got to say, last year. Uh, Mr. Harvard graduate really lost his rag, didn't he? he yeah. Uh, what was the What was the nickname he copped when he first went over and it just fuckstick? Uh, 
I think it was the Harvard hoax. The Harvard hoax. That's <laughs> yeah. great. I love it. I bet that was perpetrated by Wayne Bennett too. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> Popped up on Twitter once and then it was just everywhere. Oh, what can he do to get less angry? Obviously winning helps, but is there anything yeah. else he can do on the way to the game? Like more blowjobs? Or? I hear he prepares a mean PowerPoint presentation. Okay. That yeah. would make me angry, mate. Because <laughs> A, it's not 1998. He apparently clearly does when he applied for the job. Supposedly that was, that was a key um, point. <laughs> Did he use a laser point pen as well? Probably. Right. That, but I don't know if you read the story, but it was Wayne Bennett, uh, him, and I'm sure we've discussed that on the show before. Wayne Bennett, him, and um, and Kevin Walters all applied for the Broncos job. And uh, Bennett apparently just said, seven premierships, enough said, and walked out. Um, <laughs> you know, That's a great approach, isn't it? That's a fucking all or nothing play That's right just... there. And there he is, Mr. Man Manager. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, like that was that was more. It was it was an Andrew Webster article, and he gave the, the gist of it, and it was just really funny to read. Yeah. Apparently, Kevin Walters, you know, just like gushed about how much he loved it and how much he loved the Broncos and what a part of you know his his identity it was and how much it would mean to him to get the job. And Did, then, is it true he consulted the interview whisperer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then Seabold apparently came in with this slick PowerPoint presentation talking about data analytics and uh, tracking and uh, long-term growth and basically thought it through in, in way more detail than anybody on that interview panel expected. Mm. So they were just like, yeah, we'll give him the job. But do you think that's weird in rugby league? I mean, he's not applying to be a financial analyst. I mean, I'd be a bit worried about someone who came in just crunching numbers in front of me. No, I'd be more inclined to go with Wayne. You're, um, you, you know, you, you are entering into a, I, I guess, a more in, information intensive era of mm. sport in general. And I suppose, you know, the, every sport's going that way. Every player has a tracking device on them now. Yeah. So Jared Hayden still got one around. His so I know what you mean. Um, it can be a problem. But no, I mean, we've talked about this era of big data. In fact, we've had uh, Matty Elliott on the show before, and he talked about when his coaching days, can't get a coaching gig for love nor money these days, but when he did coach, big shout out, Matty, thanks for coming on the show. Um, he talked about how confronting the world of big data was. He said there was something like 9 million different data points he was given a week. How do you sift through 9 million different data points? I mean, clearly... You've got hopefully got algorithms crunching some of that, but he said he got so distracted by it he forgot to coach. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we'd have to try and get Trent Robinson on the show because apparently he manages both of them. So, That's true. Yeah. yeah, so I think it is. It's it's been strategic with the data. So the yeah. data itself isn't the thing that's necessarily driving performance. No. It's how you use it. So I'd love to be a fly on the wall during that Seabold interview. Is what I'm saying. What's the old uh, the old uh, shorthand for it? It's a signal and a noise, right? Oh, I haven't heard for, that for one. Data. Well, see, so, you know. The, all the, the flood of information is the noise and the yep. signal is the key bits that, um, that drive your, your strategy. I, I reckon Seabold used that line. That's how he got the fucking job. Um, now, but, but it was interesting because he had form on the ball when he came to the Broncos, obviously. He just came off the back of a, a ripper season with South. So yeah. I would have thought he'd be more going, look what I've done with Souths too. I mean, I'm sure he did. But it's it's funny though, like that, that 2019 season was almost an argument for the lack of effectiveness of both him and Wayne Bennett. Yeah, that's because crazy. both their sides just ended up exactly where they started. It was a bizarre yeah. phenomenon, wasn't it? Um, even though I think on a personal front, Wayne Bennett got the better of Seabold. Uh, well, on, yeah, yeah, on that on that sort of team by team count. But yeah, I'll tell you what, great theatre because mm. you've never seen Wayne Bennett so animated as when Souths knocked over Brisbane, and you could tell for him it was personal. Oh yeah, he went dancing into the fucking chamber. He did a bit of a macarena at one point, and then he <laughs> was kind of was. he was rubbing sort of Thiday's tits. I didn't like it, but um, no, Thiday asked him. <laughs> he liked it. I didn't like it because 
I'm not a watcher. Um, but you just want to have cameras in every player and coaches' houses, apparently. <laughs> only select players, mate, and only Wayne Bennett's bathtub. Let's be, let's not get carried away with these ideas. Don't be silly about it. Now, uh, when we're talking young guys for Brisbane to finish off here, for me, Xavier Coates. I'm not sure if you've had a good chance to have a look at him, but he looks like a big, powerful, rangy winger. Uh, who's uh, for me, he's primed to have one of these big seasons. They're a young team, Brisbane, but I actually think they're going to go reasonably well. I've got them, you've got them finishing eighth. I've got them finishing seventh. After our chat, do you still hold true to that position? Yeah, I actually, you know, my, my one concern has always been Milford. Yeah. I, just, I just don't rate him. What is it about Milford you hate? You've called him Sleepy Milford a lot. You, 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 he sort of looks as I though he's no, it's not, permanently stoned, I, I, I believe you said. Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't call him. He does look, he does look sleepy. He. Just doesn't seem to put in. I don't think he tries. But I think ever, ever since he got his his big contract, he's just rested on his checked lower. out. You reckon? Yeah, there uh, might be something in that. I mean, his form has dipped. You're right, massively. Right. I mean, you you know it, when he when he sort of burst onto the scene and had that great season in 2015. You know, like that's what sort of justified his price tag. But he's just done very little since. And I mean, it could partially have just been the way he was used, coached, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but hopefully this year, um, with the rejigged uh, spine, uh, he'll have more structure in the halves. He might actually be able to do something. I, I can see them going to sixth, but I, I don't know. I, I'd, I'd still be tempted to sort of keep him thereabouts. I think you're 100% right there with the Milford conundrum, right? Because he there's no excuses for him because he's been playing behind an amazing forward pack. Mm. And I, I know we've talked about Wayne Bennett, and I'm more of a fan of Wayne, I think, than you are. Um, I think you've you like kind his of, hot tub. I love his hot tub in particular, especially when he uses the um, the extra silky Epsom salts. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but for me, it, the, Anthony Milford is a great case example for how good Wayne Bennett is. It, he's known Wayne Bennett for getting the best out of his halves. If he has a specialty, it's been able to extract the best performance out of the number seven, and and that was no different for Anthony Milford. Anthony Milford played his best football under Wayne Bennett. And I don't think it's a coincidence that when Wayne Bennett departed the club that his form dropped off the face of the earth. I think there's a connection there. Um, So it'll be, for me, a matter of whether or not Anthony Seabold's relationship and and ability to coach a halves pairing uh, can actually raise his performance level this year because it needs to. I think for Brisbane to be really successful, Anthony Milford needs to get back to that 2015 form line. No, I think I think you're right. Um, I think I think uh, uh, Milford definitely requires a, a specific kind of mentor, but it, it just I still kind of question. You know, he did have Bennett there in 2016, 17, and 18. So what happened there? This is true. He was trailing off for a little bit there. We're going to see what our Twitter audience thinks of the Brisbane Broncos' performance in 2020. And we put out four options. Would they be premiership winners? Would they make the finals? Miss the finals? Or be wooden spooners? Uh, it was very tight. Make the finals picked up 46.1%. Miss the finals, 43.4%. So people see them around that middle portion of yeah, the ladder by the look of it, right. which is exactly where we've got them, yeah. uh, seventh and eighth. So uh, I, I can't see them being too far off that mark. But we will move on to the Cronulla Sharks because we're doing a double feature on this episode. I'll start with this one. For me, the Cronulla Sharks... I, I, I'm really worried about this club this year, actually. I, I foresee um, a, a potential major drop-off uh, from where they've been in the last four or five years. They've obviously been a very competitive club. Um, they've won a grand final in that time. 
They've been right up there in the final series. Uh, last year was the first time we saw them really drop. Now, big thing for me has been there's a lot of experience that's actually gone out the door. Obviously, notably, Paul Gallen has left. I think he had about 7,000 games of experience. But they've also lost uh, Jaden Braley. They've lost Kurt Capewell. They've lost Fecky. Um, I know he's only young, but they lost Flanagan, who was a bit of an up-and-comer. Um, these are actually big losses for me, and they haven't had a lot of gains. They've really only signed Jesse Ramian, who comes with a question mark over him because obviously he had a falling out with the Newcastle Knights. So for me, that doesn't bode particularly well, especially for a club that struggled last year. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. And and frankly, this um, whole uh, discussion about Josh Morris is kind of a bit of a harbinger of doom in a lot of ways for the mm. club. Like, I mean, the fact that they're so desperate to hang on to him. Shows you something, doesn't it? It does. You know, I mean, like he, Morris brothers, love them to bits. They're brilliant players. And, the you know, Morai. I'd love to see him at the Roosters, obviously. But it's it's the fact that... They are that short that they wouldn't even countenance it. Um, and did also say something that Josh Morris wanted out. Yeah. I think yeah. he, I think he too. he's in his twilight of his career and can potentially smell a premiership with the Roosters mm. and, and I might not feel as though it's possible at the Sharks. And yeah, and and frankly, the last couple of years, you, you're right, it's you know, players like Gallen leaving and all the rest of it, but also some of their more promising uh, players haven't really stood up like I used to have a lot of uh, a, a lot of time for for Sean Johnson, mm. uh, for example. Yeah, I did about ten years ago. <laughs> I, li- I lost faith in him quite a while ago. Yeah, I mean, there was a time where I thought he was one of the best halves going around, and he he's just been awful for a couple of se- a few seasons now. You're yeah, right. I actually think he was awful for the Warriors yeah. for quite a few seasons. No disrespect to the man; he seems like a nice guy. Like, he he can he's a bit like um. I don't know. He's very mercurial, right? Every once in a while, he'll pull, he'll put on an, an amazing play, mm. but he just. Oh no! Um, that's my Jared Hayne alarm. Apparently, he's on site, uh, so we better. <laughs> I'm going to go get my gun, and uh, we'll be Is right that, back in a second. That ankle bracelet was bloody handy. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. Uh, we just had to pause there very briefly as an alarm went off in the house. So um, sorry if that gave anyone some kind of cardiac arrest. Um, that's not what this show's about. It's about brain aneurysms. Uh, but we were talking about the Cronulla Sharks, Xander. Um, I have, for the life of me, can't remember where we're at. Do you remember? You have a better memory than I do. Yeah, I think we were talking about Sean Johnson's uh, oh, lack that's of form. Right. Um, so, you know, I mean, my, my sense on, on Sean Johnson and the Sharks is that, yeah... They they have they've lost experience and uh, they have a number of troubling problems in their back line. In, you know, in addition to Sean Johnson, the mm. fact that Josh Dugan's now looking to to exit the club and is looking for medical retirement. Um, that Morris apparently wants to leave, but they won't let him. Um, it's a bit of an exodus, and yeah. there's a huge question mark over Josh Dugan now. He's injured at the moment, which. <laughs> Big shock, he's injured all the time. But he's actually taking up a huge amount of their cap. I think he's getting paid $800,000 a season yeah. to be Josh Dugan. Um, <laughs> you must all Mind you, he spends all of that on tattoos. He does, and they spend a lot of it on ambulances for him because he's getting carted away from the field that often. So that's obviously a bit of a fly in the ointment for him because no one, I don't think any other club's going to pick up Josh because they understand that his body's basically held together with a series of thumbtacks and blue tack. Oh, yeah, and, and seeking... 
medical retirement isn't really a bargaining chip for going to a different club either, is it? It's really not. <laughs> so it, I think they're stuck with him for a poor signing for a lot of money. So that that's sort of a bit of a player drain on the club. And as a result, they have got a, a bit of a talent pool that's thinned out a little bit. I don't think you want your club to be hinging on the shoulders of Sean Johnson. He, as you said, I think you, you described it well before you called him Mercurial, which is exactly what he is. He's one of these guys that probably has one of the highest natural talent indexes of a player I've ever seen. His skill set, left to right, mm. kicking game, he's fast, he has a step off the left and right foot. And yet he's a guy that, I've always said this, I think he's a guy who mentally has just never quite adapted to rugby league. He strikes me as an Oztag player in the sense that he <laughs> just never played direct yeah. enough. I feel if Sean Johnson decided to, be, to run less sideways and play more direct... He could be the best player in the game still, even though he's he's advancing years. I don't think you'll ever make that mental leap because I think if it would have happened by now. Um, so he'd, for me, the, the Sharks are not benefiting from Sean Johnson's leadership. Yeah, he'd have been an amazing, dedicated Nines athlete. Exactly. and then <laughs> But did you see him at the Nines? He was largely unimpressive. Yeah. Uh, in fact, he came out before the Nines and said, I'm not really into the Nines, uh, which is not what's exactly what you hear. We want to hear. Isn't that I missed that. That's yeah, hilarious. No, I, I love bet. right after I've said he'd made a great... He doesn't think so, apparently, and, and, and clearly didn't think so while he was doing his play. <laughs> I bet the Sharks were happy to hear that on the eve of it. So, yeah, I think Sean Johnson's an issue. I think Matt Moylan's also an issue. He's a, a very scattered form line for a player. He's never really recaptured the same form that he had at the Penrith Panthers, when they did the James Maloney mm. player swap. Obviously, the Sharks, they lost on that deal because uh, James Maloney was very good for the for the Panthers and has been very consistent. Matt Moylan, in and out of injury, hasn't helped him, but he also has never got his game back mentally from what he had uh, back at the Penrith Panthers. He was a confidence player, and he's he's now about three or four seasons in of lost confidence. Yeah, no, it's it's... It's it's a worry for players like that. I mean, I think he, he's got to get to the point where he's just a bit hungrier and and playing for playing for more than uh, than he has been anyway. Yeah, he never looks like that guy's playing eighty minutes. He's an all or, he makes a lot of all or nothing plays, and as a result, his error rates are far too high. Mm. Um, so they do struggle in that sense. Sure, Chad Townsend is actually a player I'm a fan of. I actually think he is the type of player, even though he doesn't get the same kind of publicity as a Moylan or a Johnson. To me, he's the player. The Sharks need to build their team around. And I think that actually is their strategy because they've signed him on, I think, for the next three or four years. Yeah, I think a lot of their success last year was actually built around Townsend. And, mm. and you know, I think Johnson, when he's had his moments, even even through the poor periods, he he, he actually bounces well off him. But it's been Townsend that's, that's provided the structure more than anything. Which yeah, exactly. Is yeah, he's odd given that he's the younger of the two. Definitely. Yeah, he's definitely the structure element of that of that team. And um, he's actually got a very good short kicking game on him now. Um, he runs at the line. We talked about the criticism of Johnson being that he doesn't play direct enough. The one thing about Chad Townsend is he does. he's not afraid to put his body on the line. He does run direct. He'll do anything he can to put the big boys through the gap. So Townsend's a plus for them. Uh, on the forward front, I worry about this forward pack. Aaron Woods last year was coming off the bench. I think for me, he is a bench standard player. I notice he's predicted to be in the running. He's more likely to be a starting forward this year uh, with Andrew Fafita, whose form line goes up and down. He's either amazing yeah. or he's terrible. they just got to tell him he's playing for Tonga. Exactly. If they can just convince him of that every week, there'll be no problems at all. Braley and the hooker, inexperienced. Um, yeah, that's a worry. Like, I mean, it's part of your spine. Thank you very much, 
for those listening. Thanks, Mum. Um, so we'll, I'll tell you what, we'll leave that in. That's fine. I've never had the uh, the smoke alarm talk to me before. It's quite disconcerting. Uh, but we were talking about the the thin nature of the Sharks forward pack, Sander. And I agree with you. I mean, Wade Graham I'm a huge fan of. But if you take Wade Graham out of that equation, you've got the likes of Nakora, Jack Williams, uh, Cameron King, Bakuya. I, I, these aren't the guys that are going to win you a premiership. Yeah, and, and frankly, any side with, with Aaron Woods is, is not going to win a premiership. <laughs> Do you think Woodsy was better when he had the long hair and hipster face? I feel like since he's had the haircut, he's been much shitter. I think he's like Samson and that, that was where his, his ability was rested in. <laughs> I think that was it. Now, we did go out to Twitter of this one as well, Zander. We said, how were the Cronulla Sharks perform in 2020? 66.7% said they'd miss the finals. That was their most popular option. Only 23.8% said they'd make the finals. 1.1% were very brave, saying they'd win the premiership. I think that's Paul Gellin and his mates. And uh, also you had 8.5% who said they were wooden spooners. Um, So there's not a lot of optimism out there in the community. In fact, we've got a few comments here as well underneath the poll. People are very vocal in their condemnation of the Sharks, it seems. Um, a lot of them Dragons fans having a notice of this, so I think there's a theme oh, there. Unusual. <laughs> uh, this comes from our good friend Giannis, who said he honestly sees them missing the finals. Great juniors, good forward pack, but their halves are inconsistent, and I think they need a better coach. Can't see how this will come back to bite me at all. I don't think it will, Giannis, actually. I think, I think he's right, actually, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think they're going to make the finals. I, don't, I can't remember where I put them, but just what's happened the last in this in this lead up to the off season. Now you're going to be really the season. Are you going to be really shattered, Xander, if it turns out you did put them in the finals? I, feel, I think I put them like sixth, actually. Okay, I, so do you said all that? Yeah. You've had the, you have them in the finals, but it was a while ago we it was. put this this ladder together. Well, thankfully, mate, I've got it right here in front of me, and I'll let you know that you actually had them coming in at seventh. Yeah, no, I thought I had them in, in, in the top eight, but yeah, I, I think it was really based on last year's form and, and the fact that they did sort of squeak in. Well, they have depleted a little bit since then. So for me, I had them sliding out of the eighth. I've got them in ninth position. Just a few other comments. This one comes from Rick Blake. He said, Ramian is so overrated and the forward pack is one injury away from being shit. Uh, Jimbo they're also, not one injury away from being shit. <laughs> I think they're nine needed recruitments away from being shit, unfortunately. <laughs> Uh, this comes from Jimbo. They have good players and should easily make the eight, but they don't have any games at Shark Park this year. That could be concerning. Is that right? Because if I just missed that memo, why I, did, I didn't. See, actually, I do remember them talking about redevelopment there, and that they were going to have to. Yeah, now that you mention it, where are they playing then? Um, I think they're taking like games to parks. Like, Please say they're playing all of their games out of parks. I think they're actually. Uh, you know, I'm probably going to be proven wrong, but I, something tells me that they're actually going to take a few games to Cogra. They're arch rivals. But it's close. Cogra will hate that. Do you reckon that lots of St. George fans will turn up just to throw rotten tomatoes at them? Yeah. Well, that's all we have time for on the show today. We certainly hope you enjoyed your time with us. Again, please get involved with the show and ask us anything on the hashtag AskTVT. We're also available on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. We'll endeavour to bring you a cockeyed take on the NRL every week with a heady mix of astute analysis and dick pics. So until next time, just do what the Wiggles would do and introduce an important new sidekick character called Dorothy the Defibrillator for health and safety reasons. See you next time.
That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We couldn't go anywhere without giving you our iconic mascot war. And on the count of three, Xander, you give me yours and then I'll give you mine. One, two, three. Philadelphia fight. Mine's the, uh, the W.A. Allen Bonds. Uh, so can you just Shouldn't run... have been the Queensland Allen Bonds? We thought he was a Queenslander. Bond Did... University's based up there. But I think he had all of his bad stolen gains stashed away in WA, didn't he? This isn't another one of your Wuhan viruses of Coogee. <laughs> no, mate. So it, it, he's going to represent the new uh, Perth franchise. And the mascot is going to be disgraced businessman Alan Bond. And I should say disgraced in inverted commas because I think he might have got a national funeral. I can't quite remember. But I want you to walk me through who your mascot is there. So my mascot is a uh, rugby league team called the Philadelphia Fight, based obviously in Philadelphia. Uh, actually, is this a legitimate team? It's a real team. It's excellent. part of the, the, what is it, the AMNRL or the, uh, the American Rugby League. Mate, that's fucking excellent research. Well done. So I actually, yeah, I've... I've Obviously been curious about uh, all things rugby league for a long time. It's the USARL now. It's not the AMNRL anymore. Okay. There you go. The Yours Anal, for sure. Yeah, that's it. Yours that's Anal. That's how you say it really fast. Anyway, so yours all. they're the Philadelphia chapter, and they're called the Fight? That's right. So I, I wonder if it's just like a, uh, you know, a Can you be named after a verb? It just doesn't seem right to me. You know, I mean, it was weird. When I first saw the name, I kind of thought, well, it kind of sounds like... I don't know, um, the AIDS patient played by Tom Hanks, but with a little bit more gumption. I don't know. <laughs> he should have pushed through, shouldn't he? Exactly. You what know, a just, weak bastard just, he was. <laughs> he wasn't going to give in that easily. <laughs> so, um, How dare you succumb to your lesions? So that's, that's the angle I'm taking, is that, that, that my mascot is really just Tom Hanks from the movie Philadelphia. Okay, this has turned very sick. Uh, okay, so I'm I'm have to beat an AIDS-ridden middle-aged man from Philadelphia. But he's got fight in him. He's got a lot of fight and gumption. Okay, great. And I hope he has a lot of chemo as well because he's going to need that it's for cancer, mate. Oh, oh that's right. Yeah, the <laughs> chemo is just going to make him go downhill a lot quicker. <laughs> uh, well, they have to take on the Alan Bonds. Um, now you're in trouble there because if there's one thing Alan Bond can do. It's exploit the vulnerable. And there is no more vulnerable a person than an AIDS-ridden Tom Hanks. So for me, you're the one that needs to stage the boil over. I've clearly got the financial advantage. I've got the weight advantage because I was morbidly obese. No offence, you're underweight. Uh, I I think I'm going to win this. Yeah, I was about to say I think your guy's dead, but I think mine is too. So yeah, actually, I think I think maybe you win this one. And even if you were to say and try to be cheeky and say no, I meant Tom Hanks, the actor, I'd say his career's dead too. Alan Bond wins. 